So some of you, whether you're watching online or here, are thinking, that's Pastor Chris wearing a tie, sports coat? What's up? Well, if you haven't been here very long or if you're here for the first time, you don't know that ordinarily on Saturday nights I wear jeans and usually a decent shirt, but not this kind of dress. Well, for many years on Mother's Day, I wore a suit to honor my mother. But about seven years ago, eight years ago maybe, I thought to myself, you know, my dad wasn't the greatest dad in the world. I just have to be honest about that. But my dad taught me how to be honest, and he taught me how to work hard, and he taught me a lot of things that are important, and I should honor him. So I wear the jacket and the tie for my dad. And uh, I want to do something we've never done before at New Life on the Father's Day weekend. I want those of you who are dads to stand up, please, right now, please stand up if you're a dad. If you actually have your children with you, I would ask the child to put your hand on your dad as we pray uh, for dads, because it's a tough job. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you give us the opportunity to be dads, that you give us the opportunity to represent you in our families. And God, I pray for each man that's standing or, or even in their living room receiving this prayer. God, I pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can reflect you. God, we know that you are the only perfect father. You are the only one who is inherently good. And yet we thank you so much that by the power of your Holy Spirit in us, we can reflect your goodness to our children. We pray that you would bless us to be a blessing to them, to our wives, and, and God, that we um, would live in ways that honor you each and every moment. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, may all be seated. So when was the first time that you remember someone giving you a second chance? Maybe you were a teenager and you remember somebody gave you a second chance or a young adult, but I have to say the very first time I ever remember receiving a second chance was when I was five years old. I've told this story often, and yet every time I think of a second chance, I think of my dad talking to me the week after I tried to shoot my mother with my dad's 16-gauge shotgun. What had happened was, I don't remember, I did something wrong, which was not an uncommon thing when I was five years old, and my mother sent me to bed without dinner, but I didn't go to bed without dinner. I went up to, instead of going to my bedroom, which was on the right when I went upstairs, I went to my dad's bedroom and to his closet, and I got his 32 Special Winchester, and I loaded it with the bullet, the shell in backwards, and I knew it was backwards even though I was five years old, so I put that one down, and I picked up his 16-gauge single-shot shotgun, I put the shell in there, closed it, and I pointed it to the floor where I thought my mother was below, and I pulled the trigger. Let's just say that was a bad decision. And what happened next was my mother ran up the stairs to see what was happening, and I knew I was in big trouble, so I ran down the stairs past my mother. We lived in a one-and-a-half-story house, and so I ran down to the main floor. I ran down to the basement, and we had one of those big push-out garage doors where it didn't go up like they do now and roll up. You had to push it out. Well, I couldn't push it out. I was only five years old, and so my mother caught me, and she spanked me. And I was crying, and she said, Chris Eugene Marshall, are you ever going to do that again? And I looked at her and I said, if I get mad enough, I will. I was reflected of my dad in those days. And so she spanked me again and she said the same thing again, but I gave her a different answer this time. On the inside, I was saying, if I get mad enough, I will. But on the outside, I said, no, 
because I knew better than to say yes again because my mother would have kept, you know, giving me the discipline until I gave the right answer. So anyway, the next words out of her mouth were the most dreaded words I could hear as a five-year-old, wait till your dad gets home. Now, unfortunately for me, I tended to do bad things on Sunday nights, and my dad worked away. He went away every Saturday after, or Sunday afternoon, and he came back on Friday evening. What that meant was I had to wait till Friday afternoon or evening till my dad came home. So my five-year-old little brain all week got to think about what was going to happen to me when my dad came home. How bad I was going to get, it was going to be the worst spanking in my life. I was probably going to be, you know, I was probably for sure going to be grounded uh, and put in my room for the whole weekend when, when my dad came home. So all week long I thought about that and on Friday afternoon my dad comes pulling into the driveway and I was playing out front but I just went around and played out back because I sort of wanted to delay the inevitable as long as I could. But my mother called me in, come on in, come on in. And so when I walked into the house, dad sat on our couch in our living room with the 32 special Winchester in his hand, which I had loaded the shell backwards, and I didn't know what was going to happen. And as I, he said, sit down, which I did in the chair right across from him. And he said, calmly, not angrily as I expected, calmly, Chris, if you had pulled the trigger, or if you had done something with this gun, you know, with that shell the way it is, you could have gotten hurt, you could have hurt somebody else. I don't ever want you to touch my guns until you're old enough that I can show you how to use them properly, and then we will go hunting. Do you understand? Yes, I nodded my head. I understood. He said, okay, go play. That was it. (laughs) I was expecting the worst disciplined punishment of my life, and instead, what my dad did He extended me God's grace. He wasn't even a Christian at the time. And yet he showed me love. He showed me compassion. He acted as if nothing had even happened. And I hope that when you think about second chances, you think about something like that in your mind. Today, we're going to turn to Jonah once again. And for those of you who are new, it's the very first time for you, but it's the third time we've been talking about Jonah, an Israeli prophet who was given the challenging task of going to Nineveh, the the biggest city in Assyria, which was a hated enemy of the Israelis, to tell them that God was going to destroy them. Now, here's the thing. Jonah didn't want to do what God told him to do. And Pastor Alex gave us the first reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh and tell them that God was going to destroy them. He said, Nineveh was evil and vicious and the Israelites were at peace with them. So why poke a sleeping dog? But Jonah had another reason why he didn't want to go to Nineveh to tell them that God's judgment was coming. Here's why. Jonah knew that God was merciful. And if he told the Ninevites of God's impending judgment they would repent. You see, Jonah didn't want God to bless the Ninevites. He didn't want to spare the judgment. He wanted them to get what was coming, so he didn't want any advance notice. He just wanted God to destroy them. So what did Jonah do? Well, in first week, Pastor Alex told us what he did. He he ran away. Actually, he didn't run away. He sort of ran a little bit, and then he got in a boat, and he sailed away. And as he was sailing away, a big storm came. God sent the storm. Jonah knew that. He eventually told the crew of the ship, cast me overboard. It's the only way you can save yourself. And so eventually they did. And immediately the storm ended. And the people on the ship, those rugged sailors who worship pagan gods, 
worshipped the living God. So because Jonah was disobedient, the sailors got a second chance from God. Then the next thing that happened, Pastor Barry told us about this last week, Jonah spent three days at the bottom of the sea in the belly of a fish or a whale. And during that time, Jonah repented. Jonah praised God. And Jonah, three days later, was spit up onto the beach by that great fish or whale. So Jonah was exactly back where he started. And that's what second chances are all about. A second chance is when you get another chance to do what you were supposed to do in the first time. And a second chance isn't a clean slate. It is a new opportunity to follow God's leading. Why I say it's not a clean slate is think about it. The sailors had to go through what they went through on that ship, almost dying because of Jonah's disobedience. I can assure you that Jonah never forgot the three days in the belly of the fish. For the rest of his life, that was something that was, when he thought about, you know, his life experience, I'm sure that was probably at the top of the list of what happened in his life. So it wasn't a brand new thing. It wasn't a do-over is what I'm saying, but it was an opportunity to follow God's leading. And sometimes our second chances aren't necessarily seeming like they came from God, like when my dad gave me the second chance with his guns, which, by the way, he did teach me how to use one day, and I haven't ever shot any human being with them. I have shot a few animals with them, and now I don't hunt anymore. But he was good to his word. He gave me the second chance. And so sometimes in our lives, we get second chances from people that may not even be following God, but they always give us an opportunity to go back to following Jesus. So let's turn to Jonah and see what happened after the fish spit him onto the beach. Before we do that, let's look at the take-home point for today. The take-home point, if you're new, is the one point that we're going to make from Jonah chapter 3 that we want to take home with us and live out in the week ahead. So here it is. God gave Jonah and Nineveh second chances and is ready to give us second chances too. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God of second chances. That no matter what we do, no matter how far we try to run away from you, that you are actually not just giving us a second chance, but you're running after us. We know that your word teaches us this in Luke 15, a parable about a son who ran away and all he had to do was turn around and come back a little bit and you ran after him. God, we thank you that that's who you are. And we pray right now in this very moment that if we need a second chance, we will turn to you because we know that you will give it to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you uh, would like to follow along in Jonah 3 and you have one of these study guides, it's on page 11. And if you don't have one of these study guides and you're here in the room, then if you raise your hand, somebody will bring one to you. Uh, and we can get that for you. If you're watching online and you would like to have one of these, you can simply stop by the church building at 139 Knock Road any day, Monday to Friday, 9 to noon, and you can pick one up. Or if you're in the chat, you can actually just say, would you mail me one and give us your address and we'll mail one to you. So anyway, we're going to do a verse by verse through Jonah 3, just like we've done a verse by verse through Jonah 1 and Jonah 2. And this is what it says. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This is a clear second chance. This is a clear opportunity for Jonah to do what he was told to do in the first place. Notice, God doesn't repeat himself. 
He doesn't tell them you're going to go there and you're going to tell them there's going to be judgment. He just says, go do what I already told you to do. Have you ever been told by God to do something and you didn't do it? Have you ever run away when God told you to do something? Have you ever, when God told you to do something, said, well, maybe it really wasn't God. I mean, how do I really know if it's God anyway? That's a really good question. How do we know when God is speaking to us? I think the best answer to that question I've ever found comes from Henry Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God. He says this, that God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit through his written word, prayer, circumstances, and the church, which is other believers. So let me give you an example. When Pastor Joe Tung emailed me almost five years ago about three sisters who needed a home, and he asked if anybody at New Life could do it, I immediately heard this in my head. It's a scripture. It's from James chapter 1, verse 27. I actually heard it in the King James, but I'm going to give it to you in the New Living Translation. It said this, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. The circumstance was also that Nancy and I had three empty bedrooms, and we had brought up two daughters. So we said yes. And now five years later, our family is so much the better. Because we said yes to that. Now, here was the clincher in that case for us knowing that it was God who was speaking. (laughs) We would never have thought of bringing up three teenagers on our own at the age of 60, especially after our house had been empty, except for the two of us, for six years after raising our own children up through the teenage years. So here's what happens next. It says, this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. So Jonah did what God asked him to do. He obeyed the Lord's command. Nineveh was a huge city. Now, when we read in the New Living Translation, it would take three days. We might think, oh, three days, that means if we wanted to see all the shops, if we wanted to visit all the houses. No. What the Hebrew means is if you entered the city of Nineveh on the west side, it would take you three days to walk to the east side. It was that big of a city. Hundreds of thousands of people lived in Nineveh. And Jonah's Jonah's message was short and blunt. I mean, I don't know that there's ever been a much shorter message than this. He simply said, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Jonah didn't even say, thus says the Lord. He just offered the words from God. Now picture you're there in Nineveh, and here comes this Israeli. You can tell he's an Israeli because of the way he was dressed. And he says, 40 days from now, your city's going to be destroyed. What would you think? Maybe you'd think, this guy's a nut. This guy's a kook. You know, why would I listen to such a thing? But that's not what happened. In verse 5, it says this, The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. So notice, they believed God's message. They didn't think it was some crazy prophet from Israel. They thought God had given them a message. And without fanfare, without bolts of lightning, without... Anything, just a simple 40 days from now, you're going to be destroyed. Every person who heard the message in Nineveh repented. And we know they repented because they put on sackcloth or burlap, which was simply a way of saying, I'm sorry to God back in those days. And they put on ashes. They fasted and they showed their sorrow to God. The Ninevites didn't know whether God would give them a second chance. Let's be frank. They hoped 
that possibly God would give them a second chance, but they didn't know. They knew that all they could do was repent and turn to God. You know, Jonah's message proclaimed doom for everyone, so there really didn't sound like much wiggle room there for a second chance. But the Ninevites fasted and put on sackcloth to show their sorrow and repentance. They were ready to turn away from their sin. Word of Jonah's message came to the king of the city. Now we might think, okay, the king of the city, he's not going to act like the rest of the people. But listen to what happens. In verse 6, it says this. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Wow. Even the king takes this message with absolute humility. Jonah might have needed a second chance. But the Ninevites obeyed immediately. They, they needed a second chance just from the standpoint they were such wicked people. They needed a second chance, but they didn't have to hear it twice. They only needed to hear it once. They knew their only hope was a second chance. We've all been there. We have all walked away from God, and we need him to give us a second chance. The apostle Paul put it this way in his letter to the Romans. He said, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus himself said that unless we repent, we will all perish. So the king didn't stop at personal repentance. This next part is really incredible. It says, then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. What a radical edict. Even the animals were not allowed to eat or drink, and they, the animals wore burlap. So the king and his nobles declared that everyone had to turn from their evil ways, stop all of their violence. If you were here the first week of this series, you might remember that Pastor Alex said what, what, what Jonah was being asked to do in going to the Ninevites was sort of like going into the Death Star and telling Darth Vader that he needed to repent. Well, here's what happened in Nineveh. Darth Vader and his generals repented, and they made everybody else do the same. The king's thinking was simple. Maybe God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger. Now, if you're thinking, that's what I don't like about the Old Testament God. He's so angry. He's always so eager to kill people. That's why I'm glad Jesus came. Well, let's pause for a moment. Let's think about that for a minute. There is only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. The same God the Ninevites feared would destroy them, the same God the Ninevites hoped would turn back from his fierce anger, is the God we see in Jesus Christ. We see glimpses of it when Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees during his life on earth and he's calling them hypocrites and he's railing against them. The Apostle Paul reminded us something very important in a very, uh, very hard passage. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, he says that what God does in our day, in his day and in our day, is he allows us to reap the consequence of our sin, of our immorality, of our greed, of our lust, and much of what has come to become common and accepted practice in our culture today is what the Apostle Paul would call the results of God's anger. 
Of course, in the book of Revelation, if you're familiar with the Bible, the last book of the Bible, there's a lot in there about God's wrath and his final judgment before he returns. So the point is this, even pagans whose lives express nothing of God's truth and love recognize the possibility that God would give them a second chance. Even in the Old Testament world before Jesus came to earth to live, to die, to rise again, to return to heaven and send the Holy Spirit to us, to every believer, people understood something powerful. The God of Israel is a God of second chances. So the Ninevites fasted, they wore sackcloth, they repented, and they turned away from their evil and violent ways. What we read next reminds us why all the world's religions pale in comparison with a relationship with the one true and living God. We read these words, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. What Jonah knew would happen, happened. God changed his mind. Literally, it says God repented and didn't carry out none of his destruction. Now, if you're thinking, wait a minute. I thought God never changed his mind. He always does what he says he's going to do. Well, good for you. But here's a brief passage from the prophet Jeremiah that tells us what went on when Nineveh repented. So we read in Jeremiah chapter 18, the first four verses, it says, The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So remember, this is the ancient world. Potters made pottery that were used for many different purposes. And so he goes down to the potter's shop. And as he gets there, it says, so I did as he told me and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. So God offered Jeremiah this picture of a potter at his wheel making something, and it didn't turn out the way he wanted, so he just took the lump of clay and he puts it all back together, puts it back on on the wheel, and starts again. So hold that picture in your mind as we continue. It says, then the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom, but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I will not bless it as I said I would. God doesn't change his mind. He always punishes sin, and he always gives second chances to those who repent. You might want to look at that statement. He always punishes sin, and he always gives second chances to those who repent. Think about that. God created us to love and serve him and each other. God can't give us second chances without punishing the sin we've already committed. And that's why Jesus had to come. That's why Jesus had to live a perfect life, because none of us ever did that. And that's why Jesus, when he died on the cross... His death did pay the penalty for all the sins that even those of us who are watching online or those of us who are here in this room have committed. Jesus' death was effective to remove our sin. Now, you might not like that. You might not like that reality that sin always requires punishment, but it is the law of the universe that God created. When God established the people of Israel as his chosen people, 
And the, book of, the, 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 the books in the Old Testament tell us he did that. He told us this was a path for his forgiveness to come to all people. Because God told Abram, who became Abraham, that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him. God's second chances started with Israel and can, can, continued through them to everyone. Jonah, the Israelite, offered God's message of destruction But the Ninevites saw it as an opportunity to repent. God didn't want to destroy the Ninevites. That's why he sent Jonah. And this is so important, everyone. God doesn't want to destroy anyone. That's why he came in the man Jesus Christ. Anyone who thinks that God wants to kill people, punish people, send people to hell, doesn't understand who God is. Doesn't understand the heart of God. God's wrath is a response to our sin. He's holy. He can't... He can't be in the presence of sin, but he does offer second chances. If we don't take them, God necessarily punishes us. But when we turn away from sin, when we turn away from sin, God is always ready to receive us. The best way for us to live the new lives that we have received in Jesus once we've been forgiven is to forgive others. Jesus actually said that in what we call the Lord's Prayer, that we are supposed to forgive those Um, around us who have offended us because why because we have been forgiven my dad knew I was sorry for what I had done so long ago he knew I had paid a great penalty that week as I waited for him to come home I don't think I've ever had a worse week in my life than that week that I was waiting for my dad to come home to do what I knew he was going to do to me he saw in my demeanor that I was no longer shouting if I get mad enough I will He knew there had been a genuine change of heart, and so he gave me a second chance. How much more our Heavenly Father is willing to give second chances to those who turn to him? If you need a second chance today, then our next step for this week is for you. Here it is. I will take God's second chance in my life and live it forward this week. First, We receive God's second chance in Jesus Christ. We receive the new life that he came to give us. And then we live as forgiven and forgiving people. That's what sets us apart. History tells us that Nineveh's repentance was actually short-lived. They didn't continue to follow the ways of God. But I pray that we will use our second chances to continue to develop a closer and closer relationship with God in Jesus Christ in the presence and power of his Holy Spirit and that we will share the second chances that we have received with those who have offended and hurt us. You see, as we live as those who have been forgiven much, who have received many second chances, then we live out of that forgiveness toward others who need a second chance so desperately, who think that God doesn't care about them, they will come to know he does. Imagine being in that situation. I can look back 60 years now, and when I was five years old, a human being who wasn't even following God gave me a second chance that when I found out about Jesus, it all clicked. And I realized, huh, that's what it's all about. I am not good enough. I never could be. You are not good enough. We never will be. We don't have to be, but we do need to respond to the second chance. And when we do, God in Jesus Christ 
gives us not only forgiveness, but a new life. Today, Pastor Chris talked about second chances. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are given the greatest second chance. All of our past failures, our fears, everything that has just gone wrong in our lives, it's forgiven. And we are born again in the Spirit. And every day, through the help of the Holy Spirit, we are given our second chance to be the people that God has made us to be. And if you haven't had this second chance yet, today is your day. I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation, and you can pray this prayer with me, or you can say it in your own words. And kind of what we talk about here is that it's as simple as ABC. A, we're going to admit that we're sinners and that we need Jesus as our Savior. And B, we believe. We believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And C, we confess. We confess that we're sinners and we commit to following Jesus every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you would, just pray this prayer with me right now. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I am in need of a second chance and I need Jesus. And I believe that Jesus is your son. And I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose on the third day. And I confess, I confess that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that I need to be saved from the things that I've done and the things that I will do. And I commit to following him every day of my life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, just as you have forgiven me for my sins, I just ask that I am able to forgive others and to give them the second chances that they need, Lord. And I just love you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.